Welcome to a universe of stories. Real estate can be a tricky industry to navigate. So we're particularly excited to get a few inside tips from our guest speaker today, real estate agent, Aaron Broach. Aaron is a native son of Williamson County. As he grew, Franklin boomed and Cool Springs sprang to life. As an accomplished craftsman, Aaron leverages his eye for detail for his clients as a real estate professional. Williamson County has transformed into the jewel of the South, and Aaron is dedicated to helping his clients make a home for themselves in the hometown he loves. Let's join the conversation with Aaron and content access specialist, Heather Foch. My name is Aaron Broach. I'm a realtor with Park in Cool Springs. Park's a Middle Tennessee realty company, and I work out at the Cool Springs or Brentwood office. I help people find homes. That's great, because I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about finding first apartment, first home, especially as it comes to young people, because I know that can be a challenge for a lot of people, not just young people nowadays. Yeah. What specific questions do you have? A lot of people ask questions about what it's like to rent versus own. What can you tell us about possibly the pros and cons of both of those? Well, the largest difference between renting and owning One, the most obvious is that when you own a home, everything that's in the home or around the home, you own that. It's yours. You can make changes to the structures you see fit, keeping in mind building codes and city codes, that kind of a thing. Whereas with renting, you are living in someone else's property. Each parcel of property, each bit of property has what's known as a packet of rights that go along with it. And when you rent someone's property, they convey certain parts of those rights to you, such as access and enjoyment, etc. But there are other ones that don't convey over to you. And that's just a, a fancy realtor way of saying you can't do anything you want with the property and the person who is renting the property still has rights to that piece of property as well. The other main difference between renting and owning is that at the end of the period in which you rent or own, respectively, when you're finished paying off your mortgage, the house is yours. Or if you decide to leave the house, sell the house, if you have been owning the house, any of the payments that you made towards ownership of the property, they're built up in equity for you. It's kind of like putting your money in the bank. Whereas when you're renting, that money goes into the pocket of the landlord and then you never see it again. Once you're done renting the piece of property and you decide to move on, all those months or years of rent just evaporate effectively for you. So owning, it can be a really great way to build equity and secure your future for you. I like to think that renting is a good short-term option, whereas ownership is a better long-term option. Yeah, I definitely would agree. I've been in my house for 15 plus years now and really have seen my equity build up. So Yeah. I would say that the most common misconception between renting and owning is that renting is less expensive than owning, but the difference between ownership and rental is not as vast as people think it is. Usually, when you're renting, you're paying first and last month's deposit, pet deposit, security deposit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And since there's another individual who owns that piece of land. They have to be wary about damage caused to the structure, to the property. So they've got to factor those repair costs or those wear and tear costs into the rent that they're charging. So your rent is going to be pretty close to what a mortgage would be. The downside when you're owning, when you have a mortgage, is that if something does break, especially if something that's a major system repair, like a water heater or an HVAC, you're responsible for fixing that. It's your property. So the gap between ownership and rental is not as vast as people think. 
And then for someone who is just starting out, especially someone who may have a very limited credit history or say is just graduating from high school or college and they want to possibly buy their first home, what are some options as in terms of financing or getting together down payments that you might suggest sure. for a younger person? Well, so kind of the common piece of wisdom is that you need 20% down. That's not strictly true. That's an old watermark from conventional loans. And by conventional, I mean you go to a bank or a lending institution, private lending institution, and they, they lend you money. That's an old watermark from a couple of decades ago. But that's kind of still hung around in the minds of our society that that's what you need to put down on a home to buy it. That's just not true anymore. Since the 2008 collapse, the lending industry and practices have opened up quite a bit to help first-time homeowners and young homeowners get into the market. There's a government agency, the FHA, that's the Federal Housing Administration. They have FHA loans where the percent down can be as little as 3.5%. They will fund 96.5% of the loan. And those are specifically for first-time home buyers. Now, that's also a little bit misleading because you can be on your second or third home, but there just has to be a period between the, the homeownerships in there. There's also VA loans for anyone who uh, served in our armed forces. They will fund up to 100% of the loan. There are rural loans under the USDA that if you can qualify if the home is in a rural area, they will cover a vast amount of the loans. I'm not sure on the numbers on those. I don't do those very often. But what I do know about them is that they're areas that you would not consider rural sometimes fall into the rural uh, guidelines. And so you can actually go to USDA.gov and look up and see if a property that you're interested in is in there, and they will cover that property. So there are a lot of government programs that will help first-time home buyers and young homeowners get into a home. The piece of advice that I would say there is best to speak with a lender about those, and any realtor will have some lenders that they can send you to. After the 2008 collapse and with the, uh, the mortgage crisis, the government really came in and split the real estate market, the lenders, the title companies. They chopped all those up and put walls between them. So what happened during the mortgage crisis in 2008-2009 uh, couldn't happen again. So I can kind of give you an insight and in where to look for lending programs, but I can't really give you specifics on it because, quite frankly, I'm not allowed. Now, as far as there's the down payment, which we just discussed, but there's also your credit score. A lot of these government institutions need a minimum of a 640 to qualify for the loans. And they also look at job history, right? They're going to look at job history. They're going to look at debt to income ratio, and they're going to look at credit scores. So you want to have a good credit score and you want to have worked in the area that you're looking to buy probably for a minimum of six months. If it's between six months and two years, they will do a little bit of research to see how steady is your job, how steady is your income, are you guaranteed to have that for the next bit. If you've been in your job for two years or more, they just want pay stubs to show that you've been in the job for two years or more. And then they can advise the clients from there on. On the realty side, think of it as I'm the guy that helps you find the home and negotiate the contracts. The lending institutions are the ones that actually worry about the percentages and down payments and all that kind of thing. And then you have the title company, which processes all of the legal documentation to show that your house is becoming yours and not the person whose it was previously. So yeah, does that help? Absolutely. 
And another question is, I know a lot of people who are older, say 40 to 50, is it more difficult for that person to get a mortgage as opposed to, say, a younger person just right out of college? No, not at all. The good thing about being older when you're looking to refinance or get a new home is that you've got an established credit history, you've got an established work history, all the things that the lenders are going to be looking to determine whether or not you qualify for a loan or a mortgage, they have a long history to look back on. So as long as anybody who's looking in that age bracket has maintained a good credit history, has maintained good income, good job attendance, that kind of a thing, it should actually be probably easier because they do have more history to go off of. And uh, I know we're here in Middle Tennessee, and probably some of our listeners are living elsewhere in Tennessee, but I know we're living in such a boom market right now, and this seems like the cost of housing is going to go up, probably continue to go up for a while. What kind of tips can you offer someone, a young person or otherwise, who may have trouble affording or thinking they can afford good housing? Yeah, that's, um, that, is, that, 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 is, that is a problem that we're experiencing. We have uh, the nation as a whole is um, currently experiencing something of a, of a housing crisis. Uh, but Nashville specifically, our growth is just, it's astronomical compared to the rest of the nation. And, uh, you know, that, that's good in, in some terms um, for the housing industry, because that means we don't have any shortage of work to be done. But it makes the, uh, with the supply so low and the demand so high, it does skyrocket prices. So that and that's kind of a conundrum. Um, you know, I'm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be blunt. I uh, I give a lot of thought towards economic inequality and their housing and those kinds of things. And I really like working with young and first-time home buyers. And it's a problem that I see um, pretty much all the time: is that they just simply can't find a job that will afford them the income that they need to to buy a home. Um, you know, it's. It's one of those kind of catch-22 scenarios. You know, you want to recommend that they rent for a while and get a good um, get a good uh, income and get a good job history and build up their credit score, but then they're going to be taking all that money that they're going to be earning and throwing it into rent, which is, you know, it's it's kind of like throwing it into a trash can and setting it on, setting it on fire. You know, you'll never see it again. Um, that being said, if you're a younger individual looking to get into a home, you probably want to widen your expectations a bit. Uh, And what I mean by that is instead of thinking about like a four bedroom, three bath and a nice subdivision on a half acre lot, you kind of got to scale back your expectations. Condos, townhouses, um, anything that's got what's called a zero lot line where part of the structure attaches to another part of another structure. Um, so you could think condominiums, townhouses, apartments, etc. Those are typically going to be much cheaper than a site-built freestanding home with a yard. The other benefit of, of that is you don't have to go out and, like, you know, mow the yard, uh, which is great. But you can get into those for fairly cheap. You know, right now, and take this with a huge grain of salt because it depends on what area you're looking in, what price bracket you're looking in, what amenities, how old they are. But right now, you could easily find a condo or, or townhouse for about $150,000, which is, in the terms of real estate, not bad at all. The other way that you could probably slip into the market to build equity is uh, we have this old thing in real estate that um, drive until you can afford it. 
right? Which means if you're looking in the middle of Nashville, if you want something hip like the Gulch or Germantown or East Nashville or something, um, you know, that's going to be astronomically priced, probably way out of your price point. So the farther you drive out of town, the cheaper the homes are going to get in terms of how much you're going to have to pay. They're not going to be cheaper in build quality or anything, but you're going to pay less for them. And so my advice to those individuals would be look for something that works for the now, right? Look for that condo, look for that townhouse, look for a property maybe a little bit further out than you're used to. Live in those homes for a few years, build up some equity build up your job performance, build up your credit, and then in a couple of years, you can then leapfrog to another house. You're not going to get the house that you want right away, but it's going to be better than a rental situation. And you're going to, five years down the road, have something to start off with. Whereas if you rent for those, say, five years, you're not going to have anything to build from. That would be my recommendation. And that's why hiring a realtor is so important, because you know, we have something called the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service. We know every house, or I should say we have access to, we don't know because there's 30,000 of them at any given time, but we have access to every house that's on the market at any given time. So you come to us and you say, look, these are my restrictions, this is what I'm capable of doing, and we can find you something that will fit your needs. So, you know, a lot of people have this view of realtors that were just a step above used car salesmen. That's from back in the day. Um, back before the, 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 the housing crisis, the financial collapse. Um, but, you know, the realtors are, uh, you know, we're the oldest guild in America. Um, we have a code of ethics um, that supersedes the federal government, meaning that we have already included um, um, discriminatory or anti-discrimination practices that protect gender identity um, and, uh, and transgender individuals. Um, and sexual preference, whereas the federal government has not mandated those yet. So we're actually a step ahead in, in those those uh, those areas. So, you know, I definitely suggest if you're if you're looking to get into the market, find a realtor, find someone that you jive with, that you you think you get along with, and um, and they can really help. They can help you find stuff. They can even help you find rentals uh, if you're if you're interested in renting. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier the um, the zero lot line and condo type properties. That was my first home. Also, it needed a lot of updating and some work. And I, I think a lot of people may have heard the term sweat equity or something similar. Can you tell sure. us a little bit about that? Yeah, sweat equity is just the concept of you buy a home that needs some work. You buy a home that's out of date or needs some repairs, and you hook it up. You do a little bit of DIY, you know, Hose and Lone Depot, that kind of thing. Um, Lowe's and Home Depot, that kind of thing. You put the work in, and it will improve the property's value so that when you go to resell it, you'll make more money on the other end. It's it's essentially flipping, but you're living in the house while you're flipping, as opposed to straight flippers who will buy a property, do the improvements, and then turn around and immediately sell it. So, yeah, um, and that's definitely another option. You can buy some things that are a little bit run down and need a little bit of work, learn some home improvement skills along the way, and... Uh, and increase your, your, your equity um, of your home that way. That's yeah. a great way to go about it, too. Yeah. And another thing I think a lot of people, young people, especially as they're renting, may experience is living with roommates. Do you think that's an option in terms of buying a home together or? Well, there, okay. So that, that's, that's an interesting question. Two individuals or three uh, or four, as many as might want to, can buy a property together without being married or otherwise related. And they will share what's called a tenancy in common. Once again, that's 
real estate law speak. But basically what it means is they all have equal ownership and rights to the property. It is possible to do. Not a lot of people choose to go that route because then you've got to come into the conundrum of what happens when we sell it or what happens when one person wants to leave but the others don't. And there are legal precedents that set this up. Essentially, if one person wants to leave and the others don't, the others have the opportunity to buy that portion out from that individual. So, you know, if you have four people living in a home and one wants to leave, the other three will buy that person's quarter of a share or quarter of the property, 25% share. And then it will be divided three ways instead of four ways, right? Mm-hmm. But it can be a little bit tricky when people start disagreeing on what they want to do with the home or want to sell the home or when people want to get it in and out and all that kind of a thing. It, but it's not impossible. Just as a general life thing, uh, I think it's it's actually not bad to get some years of roommate experience in. You know, I, I lived with roommates all through college in my early adult years before I eventually settled down with my wife. And it certainly trained me in how to live with other individuals that weren't my parents, you know, before I you know, got married and settled down. If you're someone who's coming right out of high school and you've never lived with anybody other than your parents, one, that's going to be difficult for you to get a home loan without your parents co-signing. Two, it's not a bad idea to have some years of roommate experience. It teaches you a certain amount of negotiation and diplomacy that will help you in other parts of your life. One option is, if you can afford it, one that thing that I would advise a client that we're asking about this, if one individual can purchase the home and then sublet out or rent out rooms in their home to other individuals, that is an option. That way, if they absolutely have to, they have authority to move those renters out when their lease is up or whatever agreement they come to. But several individuals owning one house who aren't married or otherwise related is, is kind of tricky. Yeah, and I think especially since the trends would indicate that a lot of people are living with one or more partners, they may not be in a traditional married relationship. I think we're seeing a lot more of that, definitely. We are, yeah. Part of being a realtor sometimes, we, we wear a lot of hats, obviously salesmen, to psychologists, to marital counselor from time to time. We deal with a lot. <laughs> it, it's a job with a lot of different roles that you have to fill. If you've got a, a partner that you want to live with, this isn't just a group of friends, but is a significant other of some sort that you want to live with. The search for a home, it can be a pivot point in a relationship. It's kind of one of those, hey, look, we're getting serious, and you can tend to determine whether or not both parties are really on board by the enthusiasm they put into a home search. To be kind of glib about it, it's kind of a way that you can anchor some people down sometimes if that's your goal, but it can also really throw a wrench in the work. I think a lot of people fetishize homeownership to a level that is maybe not quite representative of the truth of homeownership. It's kind of that American dream. That's the thing that makes us adult. That's one of those milestones, right? And in a sense, it's true. You're independent and you're not living with other people. You're not depending on other people. You're not depending on your parents anymore. This is yours. I don't want to overstate how important it is to be a homeowner to your finances and those kind of capabilities. But it's also one of those things that you really want to be in a solid relationship, whether it's romantic or a friendship or a business relationship. You really want to know that those relationships are as solid as they can possibly be before you go into homeownership or any sort of real estate transaction with another individual. Once you move into that world, you're moving into the world of law, lawyers, judges, courtrooms, fines, fees, 
if something doesn't go well between those individuals, there's usually no counter than stepping in on a legal basis. Now, that can make it sound a little bit threatening, but it's just a simple matter. I'm not saying that lawyers always happen and goes to court and things are bad. It's just you're moving from a casual mode in that relationship into something a little bit more serious. And so it's not just as simple as saying, well, I want to move out if one of them wants to move out and boom, they're gone. They still own a piece of that property. So you've really got to know that your relationships are solid. That's what I would suggest before you move into any kind of purchase. One thing I definitely like to ask um, as we come to a conclusion here, I bought my first house that was the zero lot line about 20 years ago. And I know the market is very different today than it was then. If I were to fast forward in a time machine now to 2019, what are three little tools or pieces of advice that you could give me as someone fresh out of college if I were really starting on my journey to home ownership? Just keep your finances straight and clean. Get a good solid work history, get a good income, work at the same place for a long period of time if you can. And I know that's difficult in this marketplace because it's not terribly kind to that kind of fresh out of school income bracket right now. The best way to get a raise is to change jobs. Get a stable income, get a stable financial picture behind you. That would be number one. Number two would be to find something that will work for the now, kind of curb your expectations, find a zero lot line, find something maybe out in the country where you have to have maybe a little bit longer of a commute to work, but something that you can call yours, even if it's not your end home, your dream home, and use that to build equity. To go back and reiterate, strong financial picture, find something that you're okay with living in for the now, and then long-term, use that for now home to fund your future home through rental if you can. That's definitely great advice, and I wish I had known then what I know now, and I guess it's never too late, but I'm capitalizing on some of that advice now myself, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. well, Aaron, I really want to thank you for taking the time to join us today, and I feel like your presentation is really going to help a lot of our, our listeners out, so. Oh, thank you so much. I hope it was somewhat lucid. <laughs> Absolutely, and um, thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for sharing your time with us today in our universe of stories. For more information about Aaron Broach, visit his Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Aaron Broach Realtor. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.